Okay. Hi. How are you? Good. How are you? Still hearing a bunch of clicking. Okay. Good spot. We'll again. I'm very okay. still. I'm not in a okay. good spot. You're not in a good spot, but you are. I, I am. Okay. I'm in a good spot. I'm not moving. I'm sitting at my table. All right, let me just see if it's me. Okay. I guess that's good. You sounded actually really good. I sounded okay. It's funny. <laughs> you came through really good. See, I hear I hear a lot of movement, but that could, you know. And you hear move. You hear movement uh, right now. No, now you're really good. Uh, I'm just gonna take my head, just to untangle yeah, one spot. A bit. Okay. Okay. Hold on one mm-hmm. sec. That that definitely could uh, mean something there. Okay, plugged in, untangled. Yeah, you sound you coming in strong. Okay. I think what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna take one ear out. There we go. That's better for me. <clears throat> okay. Now, do you hear me? Okay. Oh, I hear you. Great. You sound. You sound. You, you, right. Yeah. Sound great. So obviously, all this stuff will just edit out, and um, basically, what we'll do is, you know, we'll just do a quick intro, talk a little bit about who we are, and uh, and then just get into it. <clears throat> I think that's all we need to do. All right, just take a little swish of water here. That's mm-hmm. fine. Of course, Jack. I have some tea, so. Mm-hmm. Okay, cool. <clears throat> and I just have a few notes. I just want to be sure that I can see them. They're just really just so I know what the hell I'm doing. <laughs> okay. All right, welcome to the Bergman Brothers broadcast, which is actually a podcast, but it didn't work well that way, so I call it a broadcast. We are actual brothers. We've been this way for a long time. This is not new. And uh, we grew up in the same house. Uh, I am the younger, uh, slightly more handsome brother. Uh, My name is Lawrence, and I'm a former radio host. Uh, I worked mostly in my hometown of Philadelphia. And uh, I was on a station called WISP for many years. Uh, I was on a show called The Matt and Huggy Show, so I've been doing radio for a long time uh, and thought it would be pretty neat to do this podcast with my older brother, uh, and we decided to do it around something that we both love, classic movies and TCM. And we both love classic films. We love TCM. Uh, when we talk on the phone, you know, three, four times a week, we talk about old movies, what's on TCM. So we figured, you know what, what the hell, let's just do a podcast based on that. So that's my story, and I'm sticking to it. I've never met this person in my life. I don't know who this man is. I I was waiting for that. I knew that was coming. Thank you. (laughs) Yes. Uh, Well, I can confirm all of what you said is basically true. Uh, I am Jeff. Uh, Jeff Bergman, uh, Lawrence's uh, younger brother, and (laughs) (laughs) 
Okay, fine. Yes, I am his older brother. I am a, I guess you, you, would, you would refer to me as a voice actor, uh, a vocal performer. I uh, have done for, I guess, 10 years now, the voice of uh, Bugs Bunny, Elmer Fudd, Sylvester, Falkhorn, Leghorn, various Looney Tunes characters. And now currently I'm doing the voice of Fred Flintstone for a new show called Yabba Dabba Dinosaur. And uh, just finished wrapping the first season of Our Cartoon President as the President of the United States in uh, Stephen Colbert's Our Cartoon President. Wow, that's a very long introduction. There really was. In I, any case. I was, I was getting bored and started to fall asleep. When you're done talking about yourself, let us know. <laughs> Well, I'm much smaller now. <laughs> well, that's what brothers do. Um, <laughs> so, as we as we were saying earlier, we're huge fans of classic films, and obviously that leads us to TCM. Uh, we love TCM. We watch it, you know, probably way too much, and we're all, you know, we're always texting each other. Did you see that this was on last night? Or oh my god, White Heat was on. Were you watching it? Uh, as though we haven't seen it before, even though we've seen it a million times. <laughs> Uh, I'm on the TCM app way too much. I check it more than my email, which is not good because I get a lot of email. <laughs> and uh, also TCM.com as well, too. Uh, so this month on TCM, it's uh, Humphrey Bogart's the star of the month. And he's always been one of our favorite actors, right? I, I would say that's fair, wouldn't you? He is. He translates so well. Like, he's still so believable. You know, he's not he's not corny. No, no, that's right. He holds up really well. You know, some older actors, you know, it can be hard to watch him. And, you know, I think it's for a few reasons. One is he's not traditionally handsome. And no, yeah, he's, he's not conventional uh, looking. And, and, he, and, and he had a great toupee. You know, I'm, I'm obsessed wait, with toupees. Wait, hold on, Jeff, Jeff, pause Good one. one second. I'm losing you a lot. Are you doing something different? Oh, I did do something different. I was leaning back and uh, holding, put my hands behind my head. Yeah, I'm, I'm sorry. losing you quite a bit. Okay. Oh, uh, okay. Yeah, Is that better? Right. Yeah, you're cutting out quite okay. a bit there. Okay. Um, let's pick up. Uh, you'll, you'll, you'll follow me. So all this month on, on TCM, Humphrey Bogart is the star of the month. And uh, I would say that he's always been one of our favorite actors. I think you would agree. Totally. We love Humphrey Bogart. He's still, he's so cool. I mean, he translates even today. He's not a corny actor, you know, like, I mean, Jimmy Cagney and Deborah G. Robinson, George Raft, they were great actors of their day. But I don't know if they translate as well as Bogey. I think he really, he holds up, right? Yeah, I mean, he does. He's not conventionally handsome. Uh, which is, I think, helps. He's a, he was a little older, too, when he hit it. You know, he wasn't so young, so he was a little weathered. And, and you know, so I, I like that about him. I've always liked that about him. Yeah, I, no, I, t I, totally, I totally agree. And I think whether it was his choice of pictures, you know, certain things he may have turned down or other people, you know, it was, I mean, heard that George Raft was offered a lot of roles that, you know, uh, he turned down and, and James Cagney and Humphrey Bogart Dumbest picked them up. So, 
So, <laughs> saw the fountain monster fucking went, yeah, this is a dude. So, saw Casablanca. This won't go anywhere. This yeah. isn't going to go anywhere. I don't want it. I mean, either that or his agent was really dumb and said, yeah, you don't want to go for Maltese Falcon. It's never going to go anywhere. That's great. Now you, you, know. you also <laughs> have something else about Bogey that you liked. And, yeah, his they, toupee. He had a great toupee. Amazing toupee. Several of them. Yeah, I mean, a good toupee is worth a lot. And that I think that made him a little bit more, you know, um, if you want to say, like, the anti-romantic, you know. But he, he was a romantic character, you know. Um, and they show him like in home movies or you see him on the yacht, you know, with Lauren Bacall and he doesn't have his, his hair piece on. And he, he looks a lot you know, older. I think that's going to be a later show too. the best hair pieces in Hollywood <laughs> because there's, there's been some good rugs over the years and there's been some, you know, oh my God, rugs. you know, Carl Reiner, Bing Crosby, I mean, Sean, Connery. Sean Connery. Oh, Connery had a phenomenal toupee all during the early bond. I mean, it's amazing how long he's been bald. It really is. (laughs) So, uh, being that uh, Bogey is the star of the month, we figured we would pick our favorite, our three favorite, and I narrowed mine down to three favorite Bogart films kind of slash performances. This was tough for me. Was it hard for you? It was, because you know me. I'm so anti-establishment. I don't like to pick the obvious things. Yes, I I do know that about you, but that's that's one of that's what makes you like cool, like Bogey. If I may Thank say you. so. Thank you very much. <laughs> um, now I will say, recently I saw a Bogart movie I had never seen, um, The Left Hand of God, which is a strange film, and I don't know that I need to see it again ever, but he was good in it. He plays a a phony priest who's being chased by a Chinese warlord. Uh, you know, it's a very, very strange film. Play, played by, probably played by a white man, because I can't remember the film, but so many years ago I saw that, The Left Hand of God. Oh, yeah. oh totally. In fact, he's, it's, played by, <laughs> it's played by one of our great Asian actors, Lee J. Cobb. <laughs> That's right. It's Lee Cobb, who wore a great toupee, by the way. Another one with a great toupee. I, just so strange. It, it's a strange film, but he was very good in it, Bogey. He really was. You could tell, though, he was sick. You could tell. And I, I had read that he was starting to. Yeah. What year? What year is that? 56? 55. 55. Okay. He yeah. seemed strained mm-hmm. in the movie. Um, but gave a good, you know, understated performance, but just an odd film that will not make my three favorites. Um, but I, it was just one I had never seen and I was glad to have seen it. Uh, now, why don't you start off with your, your number three pick? And I, by the way, we have no idea what the others pick. I have no clue. We, we, I can cooperate that we have no idea. I have not spoken to you, uh, since yesterday No, and, 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 <laughs> on and other matters. And I'm not going to insult your pick. Um, I'm just going to let you know that. Oh, well, you're, 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 you're good. Unless you're good I doobie. don't agree with it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that's fair. Well, this was really, this was tricky for me. Because, so you want my third, you want my third pick. Well, okay. Um, I'm going to, let's start off with Casablanca. We'll start off with that one because, um, there's so many things about this film that I love. I mean, I love, first of all, the pairing 
of Humphrey Bogart and Sidney Greenstreet and Peter Lorre and, of course, Ingrid Bergman and, and Claude Rains. I mean, it's just a feast of, you know, incredible actors in it. But I think the thing that maybe I love the most is that it, it is like when I think of Humphrey Bogart and the trench coat and the hat and that rugged kind of cool and he's, he's the hero of the film. He's the romantic, and yet he doesn't get the girl. I mean, it's just a great, um, it just everything about it is so cool. And then I was watching, a, I was watching this documentary recently. Uh, um, and it was, I guess it was made a few years ago. It's a few years ago. Uh, they said that Hal Wallace, who was the producer of the film, when the film wrapped and it was all finished, he didn't like the ending of the film. And so they actually show you a, a photograph of the script, of the last page of the script. And he wanted to bring Humphrey Bogart and Claude Rains back into the studio to do ADR to replace the end, the end line. And so the, the line of the film, one of the alternate lines was, if I may indulge you, uh, as Please. Bogart, Louis, I might have known you'd mix your patriotism with a little larceny. Mm. <laughs> now, now, now that was to memorize that line, and like it, it just doesn't, you know. And the second alternate line that they have is, Louis, I think this is the beginning of a beautiful friendship. And of course, that, as we know, yeah, that, is that the one line stuck. that made it in the film. Stuck. <laughs> And, you know, I mean, like, my gosh, when you, you know, when you think, I mean, that's probably one of the three or four most famous line in movie history. And and maybe, I don't know, that might have helped cement his career as, you know, the the romantic, you know, the the kind of the reluctant hero. Yeah. You know, it, 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 listen, it's a great film. And, you know, there's nothing that one can say about it other than it's a great movie. And it has that certain magic that that just some films have that people watch today and it doesn't matter. You know, it's like people watching and, and like, people watching yeah. it's a wonderful life. These films have a magic that yeah. transcends their time. And do you, do you remember when, do you remember when we went to the Warner brothers museum and we saw the actual piano that Dooley Wilson played uh, as time goes by on. And you and I were like staring, we're like six inches away from I, that I piano. Do that. I do remember that. I, and, and it was really, it was small. I mean, it was like, it was this tiny, this tiny little piano, but like there it was. And I mean, that's like, that's history. That's, that's like the cool, and other than the ruby red slippers, that's like one of the coolest props in movie history. I, I would agree. I would agree. Wait, pause for one sec. We'll pick up. Are you doing anything again? You're cutting out. You were doing really good, but you're cutting out a lot more now. Uh, okay. I was moving a little bit. Yeah, sorry. You were really good for a little bit, but I was starting to lose you on some things. Okay, I yeah, won't I mean, move. I know it's hard because we, we you know, you, you just have to find a comfy spot and try to hang there. Yeah. So I'm like, I'm sitting on the floor of the girls' playroom. Um, okay. So uh, number three, Casablanca. Yeah, you know, it's a good, solid pick. Obviously, you're kind of a coward to even pick that, but I respect you nonetheless. Uh, well, I mean, you know, it just, it, it really, it, it's bogey. I mean, it's like, it's what we think of when we think of him. And 
let's face it, you know, that was made, what, in 1942? So it's, it's like his, it's almost his mid-period. So we get, we get a lot of the early stuff, you know, his image was, was being created. Was the film that you told me to see all through the night, which was made a year before, and he, was, he owned a cafe in that too. And which I think is kind of funny, you know, that was made all through the night was made in 41 and then Castle Blanca was made in 42. And then I think he made something in between that. But I mean, that's the film that that, you know, we we still we think of him that as as that made a major star. Yeah, I mean, there's once again, there's nothing that you can say about Casablanca other than it's a great film and it, it's an iconic role. Everything about it is is tops. You know, I think you know, now that I've delved into Bogey more over the years and seen other performances, you know, I, I enjoy so many things that he's done. So my number three pick is kind of an oddball pick, um, but I like it for a lot of reasons, is Black Legion from 1937. So he plays Frank Taylor, a factory worker who's been passed over for a promotion by a, a friend of his who's a foreigner. And this starts the movie off in, you know, a very unexpected way, I guess, because he joins this Black Legion, which is, you know, clearly a version of the Ku Klux Klan. And they start to harass this foreigner and he eventually leaves and Frank gets the job that he was he wanted initially. And but it starts him off, you know, on this just kind of trail of hate you know, this, this threatening people and burning of crosses and doing all these things. Um, and it's funny because the movie, uh, you know, 80 years later is still prescient in this world today because there is so much of this undercurrent of hate still and the threat of foreigners invading our land and how people deal with it. It's a very powerful film and it, it's a, really risky role that he takes there. And I often wonder what would have been, or what was the publicity of the, of that time on that film? I wonder how that was received. Yeah. I mean, I think it was, uh, I don't know. I wouldn't say it was a big hit, but I think, you know, Warner brothers was, was a pretty hard hitting studio. They didn't shy away. You know, it wasn't like MGM where like, everything's great. Everything's wonderful. Even though the world's falling apart, we're just going to make these really great movies. <gasps> And spent tons of I'm exactly. It doesn't matter how bad it was. We just MGM never let on. Get Gene up there. You know, exactly. Put Judy in a film. You know, put Mickey in. Let him dance and sing. And Debbie and right. Donald, get him up there. Falling apart. But Everything's great. Fine. And you know, Warner, so Warner Brothers though wasn't afraid of hard hitting social commentary. They never were. I think that's why their films, you know, are very watchable today. So would you say for fans out there that haven't seen this bogey film, Black Lady, would you say, would you give it like three stars, four stars? Is it really worth seeing? seeing? Absolutely. And I, I wonder why he didn't become such a major star uh, quicker because he had had that big role as Duke Mantee in Petrified Forest in 36, this movie in early 37. And I mean, these are really, I mean, meaty roles and, playing some really interesting characters. So it's amazing that it still took, you know, another four or five years before he really hit it. Uh, but I highly recommend this film. Like I said, it, it, it has some real value, even watching it today. 
It's very powerful and it's a great performance and one of my favorites. So that's my. That's cool. That's a cool. I'll give you. I'll give you that. I'll give you that one. It's a cool. It's a I cool know pick. It's, that's why I picked it. <laughs> uh, all right. So let's get to your number two. Uh, I'm curious to see where you're going here. Well, my number two is the Maltese Falcon, and you know, I again, I realize I went a little bit classic, but there are a few things that I absolutely just like love about this film. Again, I'm going to Sydney Green Street, Peter Lorre. I mean, when the three of those guys are in the same room together, um, it's it's incredible. They're so they're so different. Their 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 acting styles are so different, and their characters are so distinct. And of course, this this movie, you know, basically Sam Spade. You know, it's the modern movie detective. You know, it's uh, it, it. I mean, he was so cool in that film, and. Um, it's just, uh, I mean, when I first saw the film, I do, I do, I have to admit, and I did say this to you, I didn't like it. I didn't like it. And that's another reason why I picked this film, because you said, give it a chance. It's very talky. It's very dialogue heavy. But I saw it recently, and I have to say, I like oh, it. Yeah. And I like, and I like the fact that he doesn't get, he really doesn't get sucked into, you know, that, that relationship you know, the feminine wiles really are not going to work on him, you know, not really. No, I think that's you know, one of the Sam great, Spade. Uh, great endings there is that he doesn't buy it, even though he, he cares for her. Right. And I, and I remember as a kid seeing it and the thing that, that I, I think it was maybe 15 years old and I, when I saw this film and I just loved it when he said, you're taking the fall. And I just thought, yeah, yes. What? You know, so there's again, he doesn't get the girl. You know, he doesn't want the girl. And it's, I just, I love that. It's not well, you know what I think is really ending. cool about that film is that at the beginning, he's not really a great guy. He really isn't. You know, even though he's a detective, I, you don't get the sense. Of right. Him. He's, we, right. We don't like him. Really. No, yeah, he's, he's not. not. But when he realizes that, you know, basically, you know, she killed his partner and that's not okay with him. You know, and he has this this morality that kind of comes in at the end, which is very interesting. Yeah, that's what I mean. It, it, yeah, it's we begin to kind of kind of maybe start to like him a little. The arc of his character changes a little bit. Like he's all right, he's okay. You know, um, so yeah, I like it for a lot of reasons. I think that first of all, the the way the film was shot, you know, the high angle yeah. shots. I mean, it just keeps you glued to it, you know. Even if it takes a little patience with the dialogue, the camera angers. And it may I mean, Bogey was only maybe, they said, 5'6". And he looks like he's 6'2 in some of the scenes. I know, he's huge. You know, so, and, yeah, he looks huge. So, and, and that was just great technique to make these stars be larger than life, you know, to make them, you know, so, so... You know, so I, I, just, I just love it. And, of course, I love that it's in black... Um, right, I well, would never it, want to it, see it that be, movie colorized. No. Oh you know? God, no! It, it yeah. has to be in black and white. Totally. It, yeah. It's just there's no other way uh, to enjoy that film. It's a good script by John Huston, uh, who was still pretty young at the time. But it is. It's a very well written film. Sydney Green Street. I mean, it's his first movie, and you know he's incredible in it. And like you said, the chemistry between all of them is really is really something to behold. Oh, it's and I feel sometimes like I'm in the movie, like there's the shot in, in 
where Sydney Green Street is sitting in that, it's like that, com- is he sitting in that comfy chair? And it's, it's, the cameraman must be sitting on the floor. Oh, yeah. Because you're getting, because you're getting a shot of, you know, his rotund, his belly. And- exactly, yeah. It's great. You feel like you're in that movie, you know, that, that you're a participant. So um, there's, there's so much I could say about that. But one other thing that I did want to mention about Bogey is that around 1942, it was reported that he had signed a contract with Warner Brothers before Casablanca, where he was making $2,700 a week. <laughs> I mean, I, I can't even imagine what that what that would have translated to oh, back yeah, then. Big money, like, man. Like, seriously. I mean, twenty seven hundred dollars a week. I, I don't know anybody that makes that. Yeah, kind of no, money. that's good coin for back then. Yeah, yeah, that's bank for, I for think back they then. Knew yeah, so it's gonna pop. You know, I really do. Uh, it, it's it's amazing he didn't pop earlier. I just I think they knew, and it was just the really the right role. And I think you know what it was really high Sierra that kind of broke him. And then from there, it was the Falcon, and then it was it was off to the races. Uh, and it was such timing for him, too, because, you know, when the United States entered you know, World War II, you know, he, he wasn't going to – he couldn't go into – he was too old. He just was too old to enlist. So that – and his career started to take off yep. really in the early 40s, you know. So I think so much of it was timing. So – so now, what is your, where are well, you? Well, so for uh, number, two, number two, you actually already said it. Um, I'm going to go with All Through the Night. I love that film. And the more that oh. I watch that film, I like it. And I like it for a lot of reasons. He plays a great character, this Gloves Donahue. You know, this, this Broadway kind of shady gambler. Um, but he's very likable. And he kind of parodies his tough guy roles a little bit. Uh, the movie is just, you can't even put your finger on, on all the styles. It's, it's a comedy. It's a drama. It's, it, it's got Nazis. It's, it's got everything. It's fun. It's exciting. It's got Phil Silvers. It does. Phil Silvers <laughs> and Jackie Gleason in these early roles. It's Jackie Gleason, uh, right. Peter Lorre's in it. He's great in it. Uh, William Demarest is really good as kind of bogey sidekick. Go ahead, do your William Demarest. I always enjoy well, Steve, well, Steve, first of all, <laughs> Chip and Ernie are driving me nuts. Uncle Charlie from My Three Sons. Yeah, okay, we don't need all that. We don't need all that. We don't, we don't, we don't need all that. You come back. That show does not translate very well today, I have no. to tell you. I have to be honest. And I watched it as a kid. I did. I know you're a little young for that show in particular. No, it's funny. It, it doesn't. It, it, actually, it's not funny. It's not funny at all. It's <laughs> not funny. You could watch that show, all 12 seasons of it, and not laugh once, I think. I don't want to get too sidetracked, but I just do want to say that Bill Frawley, William Frawley, who played Fred Mertz, was Bub, was, was Uncle Charlie before that Uncle Charlie, but he was that Bub, he my was three Bob. sons. And that just cracks yep, me up. Exactly. It just really does. His pants were all the way up to neck. practically yeah, his, his armpits. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, just pull them up higher, Bill. Um, but, but we, we digress, so, yeah, so I'm night, sorry. Go I, ahead. I do love the character that he plays. Uh, is that the only comedy you, that Bogart really Well, plays? no, I would say, uh, I mean, Sabrina beat the devil. They, they have some fun, light moments in them. Uh, yeah. You know, I mean, I, I would, I mean, no one is just, you know, bowled over laughing in a Bogart film ever, but 
Yeah, <laughs> let's get yeah, bogey. Like he's just a cut up, isn't he? He's a really let's get bogey and Bob yeah, Hope that's, together. That's going to be a good mix. No, but all through the night is just a lot of fun. And then of course you got Conrad Bite, who every script he got just was you're playing a Nazi. That's all his agent. <laughs> his agent was calling on the phone and just say, "Hey, we got a great role. It's a Nazi." And you know what? He was happy I'm to sure do it was. too. He was happy to get the. He was happy to get out of Germany and get that's to America right. and to take. Yeah. It was easier to play a Nazi than it was to be captured by totally, a Nazi. Totally, he. But the Bogart's performance is really neat. He he really pulls it off. You know, he parodies himself without making too much fun of it, and he he keeps it moving very nicely. And he's dressed impeccably in this film. It's funny, I, the suits they have him in. You know, he just looks great in the role. He does look really good in the role, and and he's a you know. I don't know when that – I guess it was shot in 41, 41 probably, or, yeah. or late 44. Yeah, and he, he does look good. He looks actually kind of handsome. Like they made him look a little more like a pretty totally. boy. Totally, and, and I just love that you can you – can, the fun that he's having is, is clear. He's having a lot of fun in that role, and it's very infectious, and it's a great film. And I highly recommend it. I really do. I think if you sit and just watch it, you'll have a great time. And you'll just go, wow, I don't know what I watched. And it's just a lot of fun. Well, like I like your pick because, you know, for people that, you know, maybe have seen Casablanca or African Queen or the Maltese Falcon, what, which they do run perhaps a little bit more often. I don't see that they run all through the night all that much or the Black Legion, which you mentioned before. Uh, as your other pick. I, so these are kind of cool movies to find. They, re- they so, really are. Uh, they show a just a greater depth, you know, there's no doubt that, I mean, his, his performances at African Queen and Treasure of Sierra Madre, once again, two more iconic performances. Um, there's, there's nothing that you could say about those films that isn't just tremendous, but this is one to catch. It's, you see him in a different light. And I like that. It shows that he had the ability to do even more than you thought. It's kind of funny that th- maybe he didn't do more stuff like that. Yeah, you know? I, I, if, you but, know, I don't know. I'm, from what I've read about that film, it was successful and did well. Uh, it was probably hard to kind of write those kind of roles for him. You know, I think he was very comfortable in those dramas that were a little dark, you know. And, and he, yeah, he did branch out, obviously, um, you know, with African Queen. That was kind of a different character for him. Uh, I mean, look at Captain Queen in the K-Mutiny, another incredible performance. Uh, it's so hard to pick three, you know, performances that you just love because he's one of the most consistent actors, I think, really in history. He really is. Once. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I was almost going to pick high Sierra, you know, right. or Duke Mantee, yeah. you know, I was, because they're such, it, they're like that helped make him, you know, crystallize him as being, you know, a giant, giant star. But I just, I, I, you know, I have to think more, not just the role, but I have to think mm-hmm. of the movie and, you know, and the relationship to the other actors that, you know, his character had. But that's a, that's a good pick. Uh, yeah, I, I, I admire that. That's a good one. I might even like that one better than the, the Black Legion, just because it's a little lighter. Oh, well, totally. <laughs> so once again, we're, uh, we're talking about Humphrey Bogart. He's the star of the month on TCM. And uh, you catch, you know, so many of his films all month long with TCM. And you can also, you know, yeah. just as, you know, just as, as I know it, now, I don't know if you know this, but you know, da- our father, I do you know, know dad him. used to, yeah, you, do, you, do you remember what, what he used to call him, what the nickname was? 
you would call Bogart. Uh, why am I not picturing this? Yeah, I I don't know if this was like his moniker for like that error, and that's what they. But they he said Humphrey Bogart. Oh, <laughs> he did. He thought he was so funny and clever when he said that. He thought he was so clever. And now maybe that's just like me just thinking like, oh, that's the nickname that they gave him in those days. I don't know. You know. No, that was, he was, that very... was one of our dad's jokes. <laughs> those are dad jokes right yeah. there. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so here we are. We're at the number one. Uh, and I really don't know where you're going. And I like it. Well... Well, you don't know where, but see, it's funny. You're like your psyche. You get into my brain because you just mentioned the film. Out of all the films, and he's done so many films, you mentioned it in this just conversation. It is, drum roll, please, The Cane Mutiny. Yeah. Now, there's a few reasons why I picked this. <laughs> uh, first of all, I picked it because I was a very strange 12-year-old that, you know, I couldn't, I couldn't do any of my homework. But I did memorize the, the, the strawberry speech. You did. Uh, and I remember you, as you know. a little boy, you would make me listen to you say the speech. So a key, a key definitely did exist. <laughs> I repeat, the key was not. And I don't know anything about mesh boys eating strawberries. I tried to run the ship properly by the book, but they fought me at every turn. I mean, it's like, you know, that's that's like the Bible. Are you kidding me? Um, <laughs> but I will say I will say that what I do love about this is is it, it, it kind of reminds me of what's happening in the world today. You know, when you think about the gay mutiny, it's like this, you know, not to get overly political, you know, but, he, you know, he, he's in a film and I kind of wonder what the set was like. You know, there he had, you know, very credible actors you know jose ferrer and fred mcmary and van right. johnson it's just a strong supporting cast and you know that i wonder like what that's like for an actor to be sort of the lone you know the lone wolf in that and film. bogey was yeah. kind of yeah in that film and he was he was kind of a loner they said you know a little bit in his private life so i wonder if that was like an easy role for him you know, I wonder if they joked around on the set a lot. I don't know. You know, I mean, they said that when he was working with director John Houston, the two of them would, were laughing hysterical and drinking and having a ball uh, when they did African Queen and, and, and you know, and the Maltese Falcon. You know, they I'm were having a great time. So drank in every film. I, I don't think it was exclusive <laughs> to that one. I think I think there was carousing everywhere. Yeah, I mean, that, yeah. the courtroom scene is... It's just oh man, it's just it's killer. It's just great. It, it's it's the best. I mean, and that performance, you know, when he pulls out the marbles, you know, I tried to run the ship properly by the book, but they fought me every turn. The key, the roaming, the logic, the strawberries. And, I mean, and and you hear the marbles. It's like the microphone must have been in his pocket, right. you know, or he was in his in his other hand, you know, because it's like. You can hear that. And, you know, I mean, me being somebody that's like made my life on impersonation, like for me, that's for impersonators, you know, that is that's such a great that's such a great character. And, you know, I just and Jose Ferrer talk about, you know, what a great presence he had in his voice, you know, and it's just so cool to see how bogey begins to unravel. You know, at first, it seems like he's got it under, under totally. control and then he obviously begins to. To lose it. A you lesser know, so, actor, uh, it, it's going to look silly up there. And he was so good. And you really like, you're watching a man come unclued in front of you. 
and and yet you feel for them at the same time. You realize that they had to do the mutiny, but that you also sympathize with him because mm. he was a guy who fought for his country for all those years. And yeah, you kind of you kind of rooting for you him, do. you know. It's like you want to you want him to turn it around. No, you do. It's it's a, it's a great pick. It, it really is. And I I gotta say, I sometimes forget about that that film and that performance. And when it is on, it's great. And you know, Fred McMurray. I mean, he was excellent in that movie. But he's fantastic. He really that, plays against yeah. type. He's in, in, you know his own type in that in that film. He really is. Uh, it's it's a good role for him and a good performance. Yeah, I had to pick that because I just think that. You know, as far as Bogey's acting goes, I thought, you know what? That's his film. He could have won an Academy Award for that. I mean, it's just a great performance. And it's a later performance because I, I just was thinking about, you know, kind of looking at his career. And, you know, obviously the other two films, um, they're more, much more commercially or what you would think of when you think of Bogart. But not maybe as much with, with the Kane Mutiny. So I I recommend anybody to see that. Yeah, yeah, you know, I mean, um, it's always good to to watch it again. It's it's a uh, it's a great film. So my number one pick is is obvious to you, not to maybe anyone else. Dun, 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 dun. Uh, it, it's not only one of my all time favorite films. It I think it's the greatest detective film ever made. Uh, for me, it's just I can watch it every day, and that's sad and kind of sick, but I could. Um, it, it's say big, it, say it, Lawrence. It's the big sleep, the big snooze, uh, the big snooze. That's a little really harsh. Is. I know that's a little. You, yeah. This is where you and I have we we split a little bit on this one. But go ahead, I, go ahead. Give, I give absolutely give it up. Love this film. Uh, Bogart gives the quintessential performance as Philip Marlowe, who is, in my opinion, the greatest movie detective ever, and his performance is just incredible in that film in you're watching a movie and you're not even sure what's happening but you can't turn away and that's the greatest part about that that film uh even raymond chandler and and, and howard hawks the guys who are making the film and writing the film they don't even know what's going on and 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 i find that hilarious but the chemistry with all the actors is great and clearly bogey had a great chemistry with Lauren Bacall, obviously. Well, now, now, there you, ding, 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 ding. There's where you get my vote right there because you could see that these two, they had totally. something, you know. So, and, and she's gorgeous. I mean, she's beautiful. She and she's, so, she's a really, she plays that role to the hilt. And then you've got the, who steals the movie, kind of, is the sister, Carmen Sternwood, Martha Vickers, who is sexy as all hell childlike and nuts as as hell i mean she's just out of her gourd in that film uh but gives an incredible performance as carmen uh she really does that yeah i think you have to watch that probably a couple of times for for you to get that i don't now again i just i don't think i got you know that didn't resonate with me as much like i didn't see her character kind of pop like that but but you're right, though. She is. She they is cut her role her down because she was kind of overtaking it. Uh, it's very interesting. They did. She had more scenes and they cut her role down. Uh, oh, I didn't know you that. You could see that her character is so powerful. And I mean, the movie really handles some pretty dark deeds very, very subtly. I mean, you've got pornography and drugs. 
uh, happening in this film, you know, along with murder, of course. But it's handled really, really well. And Bogart just controls it the whole time. He's just in the driver's seat doing 55, and he is just cruising through it. So you like Philip Marlowe maybe a little bit better as a detective on screen than, say, Sam Spade? you think that translates a little I better? Do. I do. I think Marlowe, to me, is just the quintessential, you know, tenacious detective who's not going to give up. He doesn't figure it out right away. He's going to get his, his head knocked in a little bit, but he's not giving up. And he's going to stay on the trail until he figures it out. And he knows he's dealing with some pretty seedy people, um, but he thinks he can outsmart them. And, you know, he comes close to not doing it, but it, it's just a, it's just a fantastic performance. And, you know, he's, he's funny and he's tough. And I mean, I, I want to be him when I watch that film. Yeah, see, that's the difference, I guess, between Philip Marlowe, the way he's written, and Sam Spade. You, you really don't want to be Sam Spade. <laughs> no. You know, you, you, not really. You really, it, it, you're not envious of this guy. Um, so maybe Philip Marlowe is like the quintessential film detective that actually was inspired many TV show detectives. Who knows? I would think maybe that could be. Yeah, and, 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 and by the way, you know, Dick, Dick Powell did a great job as Philip Marlowe in Murder, My Sweet. He really did. And I would recommend that as, as another film to see. That's a really good film noir. And it came out before Big Sleep. And he does a great job, Dick Powell. He really does. And I, he was a guy who was, you know, a song and dance guy and switched his whole career around. But I don't think he captures it the way that Bogart does so completely. Like I said, I want to put a hat on. I want to put a suit on. I want to carry a thirty-eight. And, and I want to drive to Los Angeles and start looking for these seedy people myself. And that, that's yeah. how much I love that film. And I love his performance. For me, it's just no contest. That's my number one. And it's just, it's Bogart. Wow. Well, it kind of makes me think of, you know, like you're kind of making me want to watch, you know, L.A. Confidential, which like was a film that I thought was kind of totally. cool. You oh, know? yeah. It's a great film. And, and great it, film. It, yeah, right, and it's got, had to be influenced, you know, by 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 that film. Wow, great! Yeah, I mean, Actually, look at I think uh, pretty good I mean, picks. Look at Chinatown. I mean, it's clearly influenced uh, by that film as well, too. I mean, it's that's an entire podcast. That just that one film, I think. You know, that and The Godfather. I mean, yeah, well, of course, of course. You know, movies that you can watch over and over again and get new things out of them each time. So, uh, once again, Bogart is the star of the month on TCM. You can check it out on the app or TCM.com. They got all the movies. And uh, those are our picks. And uh, we'll be back next week with another Bergman Brothers broadcast, which is actually a podcast. And until then, uh, enjoy your classic films. So, why don't we take a little bit of a pause for just a moment? Sure. Um, once again, you know, it, it, it's tough because I. I'm picking up some things. Overall, you did, I heard you pretty well, but there was, it's just, this thing just picks up everything. That's what, it's just a very sensitive recording. <clears throat> um, Bless you. So what I'll do is, on this next one, we'll just go, we'll get into it a little bit quicker. Okay. Oh, I don't know, I can't hear you now. Hold on. 
Yeah, okay. Hello? I got you. Yeah. You sounded all fuzzy okay. there. Okay. Uh, we don't have to do all the background bullshit again. We can just get to it a little bit quicker. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we'll do our Hitchcock villains on this one. Is that right? Are you all set? Okay. I'm all set. I, I You know, I actually might even be more prepared, you know, for this oh, good. one. Good. That's good. Um, um, perfect. Uh, all right. So here we go. Uh, welcome once again to the Bergman Brothers broadcast, which is actually a podcast. We are two actual brothers. We don't play them uh, on a podcast. We grew up together. Um, and <laughs> we, uh, we are lovers. We are not actors. We're not pretending to be no, brothers. <laughs> no, we're not. We're real brothers. Uh, we grew up uh, with uh, mom and dad who love classic films, especially mom, and really introduced us to the world of classic movies. Uh, so, of course, we're obsessed with TCM, Turner Classic Films, Turner Classic Movies, I should say. Uh, I have the app. I go on the website. I, I spend way too much time on it. Uh, and I know my brother does as well, too. We text each other all the time. What do you, did you see this? Are you watching this? What's on tomorrow night? Like, we, it's, it's. I probably watch TCM. I mean, like, I don't know. I probably watch five movies a week on TCM. It looks. I would agree. I'm on the uh, if I'm not watching it live, it's 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 on the app, which I love, and and I love reading all the background that you get on the app too. It's just you know they give you the synopsis of the film, then they give you an article about the making of the film, and uh, it's just it's it's so cool because you get this great history uh, of of this movie, and you know in movies you would never even think to to read up on. And it's just you get all this cool information. So highly recommend the app um, as well, too. Yeah, the app is a lot of fun, you know. And I also think, too, you know, unlike other, you know, other outlets that run, you know, classic movies or, or movies that are even 25, 30 years old, what's really cool is when, when they intro the film, you know, when Ben Mankiewicz, who is the host of TCM, um, it's really, you know, you'll, you'll always learn something, you know, that you didn't know. And then when the film is over, you know, he'll wrap it up with something that's kind of cool, you know. So it's, it's, a, it's a real experience. And then oftentimes, too, what I love about TCM is they'll, they'll profile a star. And so it might be Betty Davis and Meryl Streep is actually doing the, um, you know, the voiceover, you know, so which is it's fun, you know. Oh, I love those. Yeah. I, I, Little mini profiles, yeah, right? Yeah, I do. Those are great. You know, they do those in between films. Uh, so uh, this Wednesday to Thursday, they're doing 24 hours of Hitchcock on TCM. Yes. And uh, so I've called out uh, out of work and, uh, <laughs> and uh, you're using one of your yeah, vacation exactly. days I'm, for that. I'm blowing a day. And uh, I told the kids, you know, Stay, stay, stay at someone else's house. Uh, <laughs> I'm not around for 24 hours. Uh, I'll be fine though after that. Uh, right. But I mean, Hitchcock, you know, always demands repeat viewings. So, you know, what we were thinking about, you know, how do we celebrate, you know, Hitchcock? I mean, there's so many ways. Uh, and I thought, you know, what's fun is pick our favorite Hitchcock villains. I didn't want to do with the obvious our favorite Hitchcock films. Too obvious, too cliche. I love this, by the way, and it's a. This was really, really smart of you because you don't think of it like that. You know, you don't. You, that's not the first thing that comes to your mind when you think of Hitchcock as the villains. But hey, 
that's what made his films so great. You know, the better the villain, totally. Generally, the the better the film is probably going to be. Well, I'm not. a twisted, disturbed human being, so this is a perfect. You are theme. You are. You exactly. love this. It's a perfect theme for him. You love the macabre, totally. <laughs> but you you really touched on something. Um, one of the smarter things you've ever said uh, <laughs> is that. And it's only it, Saturday. It's crazy. Uh, is the <laughs> is true the villain, the more richly drawn villain, the, really in some ways the the better the film and and his villains sometimes are the most complicated characters in in the they are the film. and let's and let and let's credit him and not always so obvious. Yes, yes. Um, so we've decided to pick our three favorite villains. By the way, I have an honorable mention villain. Now, I don't know if you want me to do that at the <laughs> end or the beginning, but I do have an honorable mention. Wow. Uh, okay, well, if you're going to have an honorable mention, then, then I'll, uh, I'll think about one okay. of my stuff. I actually had a, a few you know, others in addition to the three that we were going to pick. So, so uh, I'll use one of those as my honorables. Okay. So uh, one, I'm going to start with my number three. Uh, and my number three one is just this guy is so awful. He is just such a reprehensible, disgusting human being in every way. Uh, and, and certainly not an easy role to play. And I know you have no clue what I'm picking, and I love it. And I'm teasing you by not saying it right away. But it is the character of Brandon from Rope, played by John Dahl. Brandon, along with his buddy Philip, murder their friend David. And they murder him over some moral superiority that they think they have over him and they put him in this chest and then they have a dinner party and basically on top of the yeah, chest <laughs> and they invite all these they invite his family over and his fiance and 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 of course you know jimmy stewart is their lawyer friend uh filters it out and you know and the guilt you know the guilty parties you know are are, are dealt with severely but it's so it's such a interesting film i wouldn't say it's one of my favorite hitchcock films but i love what he has done with the character of brandon this guy well this is where you and this you and i come together on this completely because it is not by far my favorite film but notable mention is it was made in 1948 it is hitchcock's first film in technicolor and he shot it well they said he shot it in one shot he didn't but there was they shot it. I think it was ten reels, so they had to still edit and put this thing together. But they uh, they shot at ten minutes. They shot ten minutes of film, which was really kind of tricky to do that. Uh, to go, you know, to have a scene last that well, long. Well, it, ha- it happens in real time. It's it's eighty minutes. It happens in real time, it's, it's right? In, it happens within that eighty minutes. Yeah, exactly. And, uh, it's it's very interesting. So now you know the character of Philip is played by Farley Granger. And, uh, you know, who's not really that great of an actor, but he plays this role well. Uh, both of them are really very guilty in, in, in this murder. Yeah, but Philip does have some conscience at the end where Brandon does not. Brandon is absolutely out of his mind. Yeah, well, uh, Philip is the weaker totally. one of the two, obviously. But now can I just I, I'm just I just have to say we have to you know, this is complex. This is rope is a complex film. For villains, because although I do agree, these are great, you know, both Brandon and Philip are responsible, but I have to say that who's their teacher? It's Jimmy Stewart. 
and he bears kind of responsibility. Yeah, well, you know, to you're some blame extent. Jimmy Stewart. You can't blame Jimmy Stewart. And, ah, well, you know, th- this film was not received very well. And I think partially because people didn't want to see Jimmy Stewart in that role. Yeah, but I think he he basically and he's great at he's great at his whole point is you know you took everything I taught and and just completely distorted it in every wrong way possible. So while he did teach them, it wasn't for that purpose. So you know I I think he does gain some credibility there at at the end. Uh, where Brandon clearly is completely distorted all these things that Jimmy Stewart has taught and believes that he truly has moral superiority over people. Uh, it's an incredible... Now, now uh, do, do, do we talk about the, the what was known as the it factor? Because they didn't mention the fact that there were, was a homosexual theme there. It wasn't just murder because Hitchcock was attracted to this you know, he wouldn't have been as attracted to it if it was just two murderers sure, or just there, two there, homosexuals. There, but there, the fact that there were two homosexuals that are murderers, this is really what excited him about this There film. is a homosexual uh, subtext to it. Uh, there's no, and they never mentioned no it, which is well, incredible. Uh, you know. Right. They could, they were, they, it was those days that you, you couldn't. Oh, yeah. No, you couldn't at all. You know, and, and it's, uh, it's, it's pretty obvious when you watch it now. Uh, and you look at it, and you go, okay, you know, Philip and, and Brandon are probably lovers, uh, but it, it's it's funny. It's handled very well. It's handled very subtly because they had to, uh, and it is interesting that that subtext to it, which actually comes up in another film I wanted to talk about later, uh, you know. And it is funny that Hitchcock was attracted to something like that, but you know, once again, you know, Hitchcock was really attracted to so many different things and different themes. Uh, so Brandon is my number three pick, just a reprehensible villain, uh, almost really no redeeming qualities about him. But he's played wonderfully by John Dahl, who is not really a guy who'd be known as, as, as a great actor in many of his roles. He's in another film called Gun Crazy, which is kind of a neat film noir. But this is a, is, is a great role. And I imagine in some ways it probably hurt his career. Because, you know, how do you come out of a movie like that where people want to see you in other things? So a brave, a brave risk taking that role. But he's my number three, Brandon, all the way. Wow. Well, you know, I had heard that the roles were offered to other actors. And one of the other actors it was offered to was Montgomery Clift. I think they wanted Monty Mm -hmm. Clift and another, you know, major famous actor. Uh, that's just not coming to my Mo mind Howard, right now. But they both, Mo but, Mo, yeah, yeah, right. The, the great Mo Howard. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, Mo turned it down because they made so much money on those Stooges yes, shorts. Yeah, exactly. Uh-huh. Totally. <laughs> yeah, but I, but you know, people were afraid. I think to take to take those roles. Yeah. You know? But uh, but that's a great pick. In fact, it's such a great pick um, that I'm going to have to say to you that Rope is my third pick as well. So wow. yes, folks. We are we are brothers. I um, did not Rope see is, that coming. I'm very surprised. Yeah, well, and I I have to credit you for this Please. because years ago you I'm going to give you a little credit, just not not a lot, but <laughs> years ago you said to me, Jeff, you have got to really take a look at this movie, and I just said, Oh man, come on! It's you know to me it's like a like a movie like a million dollar baby. It's like I can only see that once. It's a great film, 
but it just, it just, I don't know. I found rope kind of, it just, it just kind of was like dull. But now today, I, I mean, 20 years later, after, after seeing it many times now, it's, I just love the film. And you know, what's so cool about, so now let me, let me, let me tell you why I think that, that Jimmy Stewart and Philip and Brandon, why there's, they're such great villains is because you have Constance Collier and Sir Cedric Hardwick that are in the film and they're like cheery and bubbly and kind of lighthearted. And she's like, Oh yes, Brandon. You know, Cedric Hardwick, by the and, way, uh, sir, excuse me. I could be sure because he was, sir, I don't sir. know why he was knighted, but not for that performance, but uh, <laughs> he always sounds like he's half asleep when he's talking. Well, I mean, he, you know, he's always going to be Ramses in my book, you know, Moses. That's what I'm saying. What you're my son, like. Moses. Moses. <laughs> Moses, you're my son, Moses. Awake. <laughs> I need coffee. Um, wow. That's what he sounds like. But, you know, but, but there's, but, you know, I think that's one of the reasons why he, he's in that film. Both of those characters represent you know just the calm the mm-hmm. easy manner that they that hitchcock wants which kind of accentuates the evil of of those other characters you know and then of course, to hear jimmy's to hear jimmy stewart say you know you're gonna die both of you you're you're you've murdered <laughs> you strangled the life out of another fellow human being who lived and loved as you never could I mean, Jimmy Stewart, you know, it's a wonderful life. I know. You, Mr. Potter. Just, I mean, I, there yeah, Mr. Potter. Yeah, no, he, once again, it definitely, you know, he shows his range. Uh, and, you know, probably the only one that comes out of that film uh, looking somewhat okay. So, interesting that you went, you went with that as well, number three. You know, and I did because, you know, I think there is something kind of complex going on with Jimmy Stewart. Is he having... Is he having an affair? Like, is is you know, is he gay? We, you know, like it's it's odd. We I don't really understand the relationship completely that he has with Brandon and and Philip, and 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 you know what weirds me out is like sometimes I'll hear Brandon kind of sounds a little like Jimmy Stewart. That, that, that kind of thing. Yeah, like, yeah. But the way yeah, he talks, it's a bit over the top. It's like a weird, a little dramatic. And- yeah, a little dramatic. Yeah, and he's got that thing that he does like that. Really, that sort of easy Jimmy kind of thing. I don't know if that was just Hitchcock. It's so. I mean, it's just so strange. Maybe that's my ear picking that, but that's my pick. So okay, well, all right. Well, then uh, number two. So this one once again was easy. This one was easy for me. Uh, this is a great villain, a great character, and once again, kind of odd. I didn't plan this that the protagonist is Farley Granger in this film. Uh, it's Strangers on a Train. And you know, I, train. I went yep. with uh, Bruno, Bruno Anthony, played by Robert Walker, a very troubled guy. Guy who was a severe alcoholic and really died shortly after this film. Uh, he was just a mess. And he had never really found his way in Hollywood. But he gives a incredible performance as Bruno. And Bruno is... A really charming guy, and yet, well, that's what makes a great villain, he's right? Completely insane and psychopathic. Yeah, and you know, when you look up the definition of psychopath, they can be incredibly charming, and he really is. And there's a part of you, and this is what makes Hitchcock so brilliant. He's such a twisted guy, is that you almost kind of root for him, uh, 
And I love when he comes across Miriam, Guy's wife, you know, after they've been in the tunnel of love and they're at that carnival and he's, he's stalking her. And it's like just a great scene, the way that he stalks her and the way that Hitchcock lights the scene in the shadows. And then he follows her while she's with these two other guys. But she's looking back at Bruno the whole time. And well, yes. Well, you know, I, what, what is really interesting about this film, I, I believe it is the only film that his daughter is in where he cast his daughter. No, no, no. She, Patricia she Hitchcock. Is, or is she, she in another is film? She's in Psycho. Um, she's the, uh, she yeah, is she's in Psycho. The other, she's the other secretary in the office with uh, Janet Lee. Yes, she's in there. And I thought she was I in mean, another I mean, she one, wanted to be. But I know for sure she's in those two, yes. She wanted to be in a lot of his films, she said. But, you know, his, his, her father had to be convinced that she could play that role, you know. And, and the role that she plays in, you know, Strangers on a Train. I mean, it's phenomenal. That scene where she, she catches him looking yep. at him as his hands are around, you know. I, I, um, I mean, what a great, I mean, that is amazing. When he kills Miriam, and you know, I love when he, you know, flips the lighter on Miriam. And she goes, yes. And the next thing you yes. know, he's got his hands around her throat and, and he's strangling her. And, you know, the game of cat and mouse begins, of course, is that great iconic scene where Bruno is, is watching Farley Granger play tennis and everyone's moving their head. And the only one that isn't moving his head is Bruno. Uh, it's such a great visual. Even when I watch it now, it's so creepy. Uh, but a great character. It's, he's funny. Uh, I mean, he hates his dad and wants his dad dead. Uh, and it's so simple. And, 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 and the woman that plays his mother, Marion Lauren, is great, too. Uh, you know, who, who kind of encourages her twisted son and doesn't realize how completely insane he is. So it is such a great idea, you know, for a murder. It is. <laughs> it, it, it's just a fabulous idea. I, know. I, I took that, notes, you know, just in yes. case. I'll murder who you. <laughs> It'll take all the suspicion away from me if I murder who you want murdered. You murder my exactly. It's, it is. It's, it's a brilliant uh, concept and pulled off. You know, just wonderfully. And and it's a great film. You know, uh, you know where Rope I don't think was a great movie, but an interesting film. Strangers on a Train is just a fun, entertaining film. Really good characters. A great story. Uh, Hitchcock is just. The visuals are fantastic in it. It's funny, it's dark. And when he drops that, when he drops that cigarette lighter in on the in balloon, the, uh, in the, the oh, you mean oh, the cigarette man. or this, the light, oh, the gold? Light, the, he drops that gold cigarette light. light, and and you know, <laughs> oh my god! I know it's 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 a great film. It's, he's a great villain. and well worth seeing again if you haven't. So yeah, that's my number two pick. Yeah, and you know. And you know what's really what's what's interesting? I was watching uh, Mel Brooks. This is that is his favorite Hitchcock film, is Strangers ah, on a Train. I didn't know that. Look at and, you. Look yeah, at he, some facts. The, okay. the, yeah. Well, it makes me want to check out High Anxiety because that was, you know, that was Mel Brooks's homage yeah, to Hitchcock, yeah. and I guess they worked together. And he, Mel Brooks and Alfred Hitchcock worked together. He would come to his office and they would talk about the film. And so he was a, he was a big help uh, and he was very supportive of, of Mel Brooks on that film. So I thought that was kind of cool. You know, it makes me want to see high anxiety again because I haven't seen that recently. Yeah. That's, and that's a funny movie. I, 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 I love the, um, 
I mean, Clark Leachman's hilarious. I mean, Harvey Corman's hilarious in it. Yeah, it's a great film. Great film. All right, so go, go ahead. Number two. I have no idea what you're doing. So go ahead. Well, this was really tough for me because there's just so many villains uh, and so many great villains. But I'm going to go with Psycho. Now I'll tell you. I've why. never heard of that film. Is uh, is that one yeah of the, yeah is that on release? It's well, it? well, <laughs> you know, it, it it came out the year I was born, 1960. God, you are old. So I have no idea. <laughs> yes, no. I mean, here's a film that like you, the star of the film, Janet Lee, dies in like 30 minutes into the film. It's like you're gonna kill a major star. Right. And it's, it's amazing. And there's so many things about it that are, I mean, listen, if you want to see like somebody that's like beautiful, I mean, she starts to film out in a white bra and, you know, camisole panties, you know, and then, you know, and then later in the film, she's in a black bra. So, I mean, talk about, you know, the foreshadowing and what she's already done. And, but, you know, you kind of think like, well, this is not really a good this is not a good lady, you know, she's stolen money. And so you don't, you really don't know where this film is going. And then when she, you know, when she goes in the shower and we've all seen, if you've seen the movie, you know what that is, but it's like, she's kind of cleansing herself. You can kind of feel like she's just, she's washing away everything. She's going to kind of start a new life maybe, you know, and then all of a sudden she's, she gets, you know, she gets killed. And so early in the film and, I must have, I, I, you know, I mean, obviously I was just born then. So, but had I seen the movie, like you were like, oh my God, they, they just killed the star. Like, where's this going to go? Yeah, and, of course, and so you're yeah. rooting and, and you're rooting for Anthony Perkins because he's this shy little demure guy. And, you know, it's like the mother is, is the, is the killer, you know, this, this crazy dominant overbearing mother is the killer. And then, oh, something else is going on here. And it's not the mother. And, and yet, when we find out, obviously, that it is Anthony Perkins, that he is the murderer, Hitchcock, it's so fantastic. Like, you, you kind of have to feel for him because you see that, you know, his mother, his mother ruined him, you know. So, again, it's like, who's really the villain there, you know? It just, there's a lot of psychology and it's, it's complex. And I, I just... I like that, you know, and I like the fact that I didn't know what I was watching. I didn't know what's coming next. And so it's, I have to go. You, you can't you can't go wrong picking Norman Bates. It's an incredible character. Yeah. It's Anthony Perkins' finest moment as an actor. Uh, um, totally. It's such a complex character. And once again, and I just and I for him in some weird way, and, which is awful. And one of my fa- one of my favorite scenes in the film is when he's showing her the room. And, you know, he, he touches the bed and he goes, nice, nice mattress, yeah. nice, you know, comfortable yeah. mattress. And, and then he gestures to the bathroom and he goes in and that, you know, and he doesn't say it. And she says, yes, the yeah. bathroom. So I thought, oh, that's a little foreshadowing there. So I thought that was just a nice little tense touch. And we don't really know that that's coming. No, not at all. So, and, you know, it, it, it's. And the scene with the two of them together when they're having the sandwich in the office is such a great scene. You really learn so much about him. And you learn something about her, too, because that scene really makes her realize, you know, listen, I got to 
I got to go back. I got to give that money back. I got to go back. What I'm doing is wrong, you know. So in that, that scene has changed her. Uh, she has now realized what she's done is wrong. Um, and Norman, you realize, you know, his life has been dominated by his mother. And all he wants is just to have some company, some other people in his life. Um, but his mother won't allow it. And it's incredibly powerful, that scene. It's a great scene played just to the help by both actors. So, And we don't, and we don't really know what's coming. You really don't. It, that scene doesn't really indicate it. Doesn't doesn't give you a tell. Yeah, I mean, when when you meet someone that's a taxidermist, that's usually a red flag. <laughs> it, it, as, in, in my lifetime, yeah. When I've met people that are you know, that are into taxidermy, I just go, okay, probably won't be hanging out with you again anytime soon. That's that's a red flag. Um, no, but it's you know, and trust. I I really toiled um, over Psycho. And picking Norman Bates because it's like how couldn't you? I had a feeling you were going to do it. Well, I, you know, it, it's it's not so cliche because it's Norman Bates and his right, mother. Right, right. That's who I. That's that's my. Those are my villains. By the way, a little trivia here. Do you know who the cop is who's outside? You know, the door when Norman is kind of locked in the uh, in, the, in, in 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 the goofy room. Do you know who it is? Do you know who plays the cop? Well. Um, well, the first well, let's give a mention. Let's give a shout out to Martin Balsam, who plays the cop that gets murdered and falls down the steps in a sort of a stilted sure, manner. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Um, which is kind of funny. But I, you know, not having seen Psycho recently, um, I don't remember who that is. But I, I obviously, I think we we would know it if we it know is it, you know a very early role, Ted Knight. And Ted Knight. Wow. Oh, man. Yep. That's incredible. He, who, <laughs> <laughs> who, I know. It makes all kinds of things. Right Norman. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Sit down, Norman. <laughs> it, it makes all kinds of fun stuff run through your mind. Um, yeah. Anyway, yeah. No, Ted Knight. Look for him. Great Look trivia. Cameo there. Early role for him. All right. All right, so That's... I'm going to head to my number one. And um, I'm not sure if you know my number one. Uh, number one pick is, I think in some ways, uh, this villain is maybe the most evil out of all of, of Hitchcock's villains. Uh, and although Brandon's right up there, this... I want to say I think I know where you're going with it, but okay. maybe not. This Go ahead. Once again, charming. Um, and yet yes. lethal. And the character of Uncle Charlie. 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 Oakley, yep. I knew it. I knew what you were going to say. Shadow of the Doubt, played by Joseph Cotton, yes. 1943. This was Hitchcock's personal favorite film. Uh, and it's easy to see why. Uh, it's The film is different. And it's his first truly American yes. film, too. Um, it's Thornton Wilder's one of the writers on it, who was a great writer. Uh, it's a great script. There's great acting throughout. Uh, it really is. Hume Cronin's great in it, in a, in a small role. Um, but it's Joseph Cotton, in my opinion, just his finest moment as an actor. And he was one of those reliable kind of actors. You know, you, you would never have blown away by him, but he always did a good job. But the character of Charlie is just, I mean, when he saw that, I mean, it's a piece of filet mignon. 
you, you got really the role of a lifetime there. And I think what makes Charlie such an interesting character is, is that he is so charming and he is so urbane and has all these really neat thing dresses impeccably and says all the right things. And of course his niece, Charlie, who's named after him and they have this interesting connection, but you realize that Charlie knows that his niece, Charlie has figured out who he is and yet she's in some way kind of covering for him, but he has no problem ready to kill her. And I think when I when you realize that this guy would kill his own niece, his member of his own family, this girl that he's loved, uh, it's shocking. You realize, my God, this guy is as bad as they come. He is an absolutely insane, twisted, sick individual of the worst kind. But, and what makes it and what makes it even cooler, I think, is when Hitchcock said that he loved being able to wreak havoc on a small yes. town. <laughs> and it just made it even better that everybody was so sweet. And, and, and here comes this charmer, you know, totally. that is, and everybody is, loves is him. Evil. Everybody loves him. Everybody loves him. Right. And, and, and what's kind of cool about, about his niece is like, she kind of almost turns into like a little mini, a little mini him, you know, like when just, she says, I'll kill you. Totally. <laughs> She's, she really does. And she, and she doesn't want to believe that he is this awful character. And she she protects him in an odd sort of way. And that shows you the connection that she has to this guy, that this has been the guy she's been connected to her whole life. Yeah, and it's like you think she wants to figure it out, right. too, you know, before. She, yeah, she wants to figure it all out. Uh, I just, the scene where they're having dinner and Charlie goes off on his rant about all the rich widows and and it's a very, very powerful scene. Hitchcock films it wonderfully. Um, and you really get a sense of how insane this individual is. You know, his guilt is on display at that moment. You realize that he is, he is clearly this man, this murderer. And it's a great scene. Uh, I love the way that Hitchcock films it and Cotton plays it just to the hilt. Yeah, and it's almost like there's two films happening in the film. It's like the film that's happening between the two mm -hmm. of them, between, you know, Uncle Charlie and his niece, and then there's the film itself that's happening while that's all happening. And, you know, when she says, when she says to him, you know, I feel like you're hiding a secret, you know, that's something wonderful about <laughs> you, you know, and, and uh, that's clearly not going to be the case. No, no, and, and that's, once again, it's just, it's a great film. Uh, might be my favorite Hitchcock film, even though we're not talking about that. Uh, I just love that movie. But Uncle Charlie, he's my number one. That's just, he's my favorite wow. Hitchcock villain of all time. I didn't, I wouldn't have thought, I would have thought that would be maybe two or three. I wouldn't have thought that's your, your number one pick. That's it. I, I, I'm sticking with it, pal. Now, I have no idea what your number one is. I'm guessing it's not James Mason from North by Northwest. Well, since you brought that up, I just want to, it's an opportunity for me to do my James Mason because first of all, okay, what villain anywhere sounds like this? Good evening, Mr. Kaplan. <laughs> you disappoint me. What possessed you to come blundering in here like that? <laughs> An overwhelming interest in art? I mean, who's? I mean, what is that? It's it's like a James Bondian type villain when when Goldfinger 
you know, you know, when Bond says to Goldfinger, oh, do you expect me to talk? And Goldfinger says, no, Mr. Bond, I expect you to die. I mean, well, I, I it, it is funny. Like, there's nothing really scary about James Mason in any way. No, it's like a, yes, of course, Mr. Kaplan. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's what is that? It's like, no, but that's again, that's Hitchcock, but that is not my villain. You guessed that right, okay. sir. <laughs> right, so, you're number one. I, um, I'm not sure. Okay, my number one is Vertigo. Now, here, here lies, okay. It's vertigo because it's not really a person. Wow, you're, you're getting it's, deep. Okay, go ahead. Yeah, yeah. I'm going to go Gene Siskel on you now here, okay? I'm going to go Roger Ebert, Gene Siskel. It's his own obsession. It's his own obsessions that leads him to his worst nightmare that creates, you know, the reality of what happens, you know? I mean, and this, and again, you know, uh, and I would say since we're here and we're honorable mention is North by Northwest, the same thing. The feeling in North by Northwest and Vertigo are happenstance, are circumstances, nightmarish things are happening. The crop dusting, the clump in, 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 uh, what is that? Not, not Mount Everest. Uh, what is that? Uh, what is that piece? Oh, Mount Rushmore. Uh, Mount, Mount Rushmore. Rushmore. Yeah. Mount Rushmore. Yes. I mean, yeah. So it's like it's all these, you know, incredible obstacles that they have to get through that that almost become the villain, the nightmare. And so I, I think that that's, you know, Vertigo is such a complex. But I just thought that, it, that you know, that, that Jimmy, it's his, it's his obsessions. You know, it's his nightmare. It's those are the characters that, that I think are the worst villains. Wow, you our minds went way deep on me. Yeah, get your get your get your butt on I, that, didn't, uh, you? didn't I, I just didn't see that coming. I, I I really didn't. I must admit, by the way, um, because I think it's kind of funny. Once again, we did not know our picks here. My honorable mention is is Vertigo, and it's the character of Gavin Elster, who is the guy that sets this awful thing in motion for Jimmy Stewart and he is clearly an awful human being because he sets this whole thing off true yeah he and does start he, he starts the cycle what an awful man he is and that he has he has just concocted this whole thing and I, I just I can't really give him full villain because he's not in it that much but you know, he's obviously what he's done, you know, pervades throughout the entire film. But uh, yeah, that's that's pretty interesting. Yeah, well, but it, and, and and you know, and it's it's important to mention that too because Hitchcock, it's not so obvious who the villains really are. But that's that's the that is the obvious villain of that film. He sets it in motion. But yeah. let's you know what happens at the end of the film. I don't want to spoil it for people that that have not seen that film because the ending is incredible. Go. So, I mean, Martin Scorsese, there are directors that think it is the finest film that's ever made. I, I, I would say that it, it, that is a movie that I just enjoy more and more every time I watch it. You are blown away by it. There's so much silence in the film, too. There's a lot of quiet. A lot of, there's, nothing is happening at times. And yet you're just enthralled by it. It could be Jimmy Stewart's finest moment as an actor. I... I would make a very strong case that that's his greatest performance. Uh, 
It is certainly, it's certainly, it's, it's anti Jimmy Stewart, what we think of him as, you know, and it's a wonderful life. Mr. Smith goes to Washington. I mean, it's, it's a crazy role that he, that he took that role because I would say that there's nothing particularly flattering about that role. Once you get to know his character. No, I would, I would agree. And, Kim Novak is just fantastic in that film. She's beautiful in that role. Mysterious. Very mysterious. And and you're you're sympathetic to her. And and, and it's crazy, you know, what happens. I mean, once again, you don't want to spoil it for anybody. Um, Really just a fantastic role for her. It's beautiful color, that movie. Yeah, it's yeah, no, that's uh, that's a good pick. Okay, I'll, I'll give you some props on that. Uh, I don't like to give you props usually, so I'm going to give you some on this one. Yeah. You're on your hands and knees on that one. You I knew threw me. Be. You threw me a little bit. Yeah. Um, you know, I always liked, by the way. You know, and, and it's funny because he sounds like him. Uh, but uh, uh, Claude Rains, I, I did like him as Alexander in Notorious. It's another good villain, and, it, oh, and a complex he's, villain he's... too. Because once again, he's not. You have you feel for this guy a little bit because he really does care for Ingrid Bergman. Um, yes, no, he re- he does, yeah. But that last uh, scene, which again, don't want to spoil that last scene, but that's that's a good one. I mean, that's that's, that's Alfred Hitchcock. You know, he just likes to he likes to tear your heart out at the end of really, the film. He, he totally does. Now, what is your honorable mention, villain? You had one. Um, you know, it, I had like I had like a few of them. Um, and I had, it's funny you mentioned Claude Rains, but, you know, he was like maybe an honorable mention. But I think I kind of had to go with, <laughs> I had to go with James Mason because <laughs> I just thought, I just thought, you know, he, yeah, he's, he's like a, he's like a Batman TV villain, you know, like, like bookworm, you know, <laughs> he's like a, no, I know. he's a harmless. Well, Martin Landau's far more sinister. He's, Martin, yeah, Martin Lander is far more sinister. Yeah, but James Mason is a benign villain. You know, he sounds lovely, and you know, it's like I want to have tea with him. Right, you know, right, <laughs> it's, uh, it's like I'm interested <laughs> how you're going to kill me. You know, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So that that's my. I mean, and I love that film. I, I could see that film. You know, any scene from that film is 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 really great. And I love. I can't remember her name, but the actress who is in the house. You know the. Uh, She's like one of the hench hench woman. We can't say henchmen because yeah. she's a she's a woman. Be careful, yeah. But get any trouble, yeah. Yeah, right. We can't get any trouble. We have to be absolutely correct. But but I can't remember the actress's name, which is which I shouldn't have even brought it up. She's terrific in it too, you know. Um, so uh, yeah, there's a lot of really great villains in in that. You film. know, it, 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 and and I there was one that I didn't think of right away. Uh, and it's it, it's it's a great it's a really good movie and he's a good villain uh, and it, and it kind of escaped me and then it, just as we're talking I was like you know who I did like was the character and I think its name is Dave but I know his name's Rusk from Frenzy he's the guy who's the strangler and he oh. is a great villain a great character and a really neat villain. Uh, and and it and I it's funny it's one of those Hitchcock films I have not seen many times I've probably seen it maybe twice. Uh, yeah, Frenzy. That, that's a really great yeah. villain. And once again, another guy who's kind of charming, likable. Um, you know, he he almost he appears as though he's helping the protagonist out and that he's he's looking out for him. And yet here he is. He's you know. Well, I've already spoiled it for everyone, so sorry. Um, <laughs> but 
yeah, it just that's that's a that's a neat villain. I'm 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 gonna go back and I'm gonna watch Frenzy again because Well, and that's a late Hitchcock film for those of you out there that are interested. Nineteen seventy two, right? He went he went back to Great Britain to film this. Uh, he had been in America for all those years and he went back to to the to the hood, so to speak, the Hitchcock hood to film that and yeah, I want to see that film again too. There's like some of the later films. There's that. There's Family Plot. I mean, I know they're maybe not the most favorite, you know, of the films per se, but you know, it's the, it's Hitchcock. You know, I had The Birds as like that was like my backup to my backup um, because I just thought, well, that's kind of that's kind of evil. You know, I, I, it's always fun hearing Tippy Hedren saying like, well, he told me they were just going to be mechanical birds but many of them were real <laughs> birds and they were attacking me and you could, you could just see like that how much he delighted in that like how did he get janet lee to get that you know blood curdling scream you know he told the guy oh yeah but yeah but you the know water the, uh, was on the, freezing put, yeah. put the it was freezing cold you know <laughs> so uh you know i just i did and then and then i think it was i think it was a journalist that had asked him or it was if some interviewer asked him, what, what is the significance that you're in every movie? And I just loved his, his response. You know, he said, I suppose it's the indignity of being a ham. Yeah, that's, that's Hitch. That's, that's it right there. That's, I mean, yeah. He loved I mean, it. He really did. He loved it. And he was, I mean, I would, you would say that he was a, he was not only a director, but he was a star. I mean, he was famous. And he Hitchcock loved it. Was, I mean, the guy was a marketing genius. I mean, it, 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 there's no end to, to what he's accomplished. And, and that's why his films uh, are still so powerful today. They're so watchable today. Uh, you know, a lot of films from years ago may be hard for people to watch, but you can sit and watch a Hitchcock film and you will be entertained. You will. You know, the guy just, he was so ahead of his time. You know, and even though he was a, a popular director, um, his films are just, they just transcend time. I mean, I, even lesser films like I Confess or Stage Fright, which are, you know, they're not his best works, but they're still entertaining films. They, they mm. really are. You still mm-hmm. watch them and, and they're still fun to watch. Uh, he just. Now, then, you know, as far as the cameos go, do you remember? Here's a little trivia question. When when they shot the film Rope, you know he's always in every scene. Somehow he's in it. He gets in the scene. Well, he's not in the apartment. So do you know where he? I is? believe he's in a, in an ad in the newspaper or a magazine. Correct. Uh, that is not correct. Uh, they show a shot outside. Oh right, that's right. He's outside from the apartment. Okay. And he's and he's right, walking. Right, right, right. Okay. You know, but but you are correct though. He is in an ad in another film. And I don't remember what that what that film is, but you know, very just very clever. You know, I mean, he just had to. There was, I think they wanted to put him up on a billboard that you see from the actual mm-hmm. living room, but somehow that mm-hmm. didn't work. It was hard to see, um, so they just did a shot from the from the top of the apartment. You know, all right. I, I love. Well, we we could yeah. talk about Hitchcock for, for days. We could. Uh, so once again, coming up this Wednesday into Thursday, twenty four hours of Hitchcock. On TCM, you can check out the films on the TCM app as well too. And uh, this was been a lot of fun doing this. Uh, 
This is a lot of fun. I like this. Yeah, we uh, yeah. Hitchcock. There's a lot to mine from Hitchcock, no doubt about it. Well, listen, and we have we didn't even talk about the the Alfred Hitchcock presents the TV series. I mean, there's so much that he did. No, the guy was was incredible. He he really was, and, and he's just one of the premier. I mean, he was a director. He was an entertainer. He he was a marketing genius, like I was saying. Uh, the guy just was so ahead of so many people. He really uh, was. He, yeah, he is. And and he was he was you know, he was a twisted guy in his own way. You know, the obsessions that he had with his female, you know, actresses. Uh and did you notice that all his female leads are all blonde? Totally. I mean, that was his thing. You know, he had he had this complete obsession with them. You know, Tippy Hedren Grace Kelly, Tippy Hedren. He had this idealized idea in his head of like the perfect woman and he was always looking for them and you know, you just see it in the way that he treats these women in the films, you know. Yeah, clearly he was he was he was shy a few dressings at the salad bar, but he was he was a genius. <laughs> uh, you know, he really was. I mean he actually he picked a wardrobe for uh, Eva Marie Saint. He she said he picked that red dress for her to wear. That's what he wanted her to wear. And the jewelry. I mean he was he was all all about that. And he was such a technician. They he knew all about lenses. Right. The the cameramen they all loved him the tech technical people well you know, because he, he knew all that detail you know and he was he was constantly looking for those little things that contribute to a scene uh, that so many people might miss and the idea that he would pick a certain color dress uh, but you know it adds to the scene it adds to the whole thing it adds to the character you know he he just he left no stone unturned yeah really Hitchcock just. Not enough that you can say about the man himself. Anyway, thank you again. Uh, thank yeah, you. It's been great. And uh, once again, this is the Bergman Brothers broadcast, which is just a podcast. And we will be talking to you soon. Enjoy your classic films. Enjoy TCM in the meantime. Until next month. Okay, there you go. That's uh, that's uh, no, just about 90 minutes. Uh, wow. So... I will uh, once again. I was losing you a fair amount there, but I think there was enough that we could get. Um, you know, we're only looking for a few minutes here, which is good. And I think there's there's some stuff that we can pull from it. So, you know, I'll uh, I'll give it a listen in the next couple of days. I don't know if I can send yeah. it to you, but I'm going to try. Uh, but I'll okay. try to send it to you if I can. Right. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. No, that was uh, that was, it was. fun. Yeah, it was fun. That was, it was great. Fun and, and it, we'll probably should do it again and maybe do something different and it'll be even better. Um, yeah, I, I agree. But yeah, it was fun. And uh, it, it was. I mean, you're... God, you're such a... Oh, my God, Lawrence. I just... I mean, you're so natural, you know, at it. I mean, you just... you. It's just amazing. Like, I mean, not... I mean, the obvious part is... That you're great talking about all the stuff that's that's did, obvious, but crazy. it's the other there's the other stuff that you do. It's like you just take over, but you did that with Matt. Like you just you're just fast, you know. You get what that is about. I mean, uh, I don't know if that was just fear of losing your jobs, <laughs> or or just like you know, it's like oh, you got to announce this, you got to get this in, you know. And so you're you're just like amazing. Well, I mean, that's just. You know, I, 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 yeah, that's part of what we're trying to show. Yes. We're trying to do that. So, and yeah, you were great. You did great. I mean, you were. Yeah. Oh my god! You can, I mean, I was scared to death because, you know, because of you, I had to like, 
I had to do crash course preparation for this. <laughs> so I'm I not kidding tell. you. I tell. No, you did. You were. You, oh my god! You were, you, you kidding you were me? Great. No, you did fantastic. Um, you really did. So I'll um, I'll give this a listen. Uh, and then if I can, I'm, I'll try to send it to you. I just have to figure out. Yeah, whatever. Yeah. You know, and then you can give it a listen as well Bless too. You. All right. Oh God! Remember me listening to myself. I know. I don't know how you would do it. Yeah, I did. Oh my I didn't God! Like it. You know, I never liked that. <laughs> I never liked yeah. doing that. Um, all right, well, listen. I'm gonna. I'm gonna head. Uh, great okay. Yeah, all right, you, Lauren. You did your all homework. Right. You, you too, Lauren. Thank you. Good job. All, all right, Lauren. All right. Have a good night. You too, Lauren. Thank you. I love you. Too. Love you. Okay.